1: Ever wonder what it is about news today that makes Americans lose their minds? We ask the expert. This is the podcast from the Fair Media Council.
0: FMC Fast Chat takes you inside the news so you can be in the know in 30 minutes. Hosted by Fair Media Council CEO and Executive Director Jackie Clement, Fast Chat features notables in news, media, and business.
1: I'm Jackie Clement, and trust is the topic of today's Fast Chat, and in particular, whether or not you trust the news. So joining us is Dr. Benjamin Toff, who leads the Trusted News Project as a senior research fellow at the Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism, and Ben is coming to us today from the University of Oxford, where he is based. Hey, Ben.
0: Hi. Thanks for having me. <laughs>
1: Thanks for joining us. Can you just start out very simply by telling us what the Trusted News Project is and why do you do it?
0: Sure, so the Trusted News Project is a three-year research project uh, based out of the, as we mentioned, the Reuters Institute at at Oxford. And the Reuters Reuters Institute has been studying uh, news audiences, specifically digital news audiences around the world for, for many years now. Um, and one, of, one piece of the, the publications that they put out every year about what's called the digital news report has looked at trust, um, but they wanted to um, look at trust in a more in-depth way, uh, you know, beyond just the few questions in any given survey that is typically used um, and do so across multiple countries and using different research methods. And so they put together a, a grant to look at trust and news over a three-year period Um, And we're focusing on the US, the UK, Brazil, and India, four countries with very different media environments, political environments, um, and doing this with a a mix of different research methods. So both some in-depth interviewing, qualitative interviews, um, surveys as well, some experiments. And, And the goal is ultimately to try to figure out, you know, what seems to work, what doesn't work for news organizations in terms of building or sustaining trust with their audiences. Um, and trying to get a better handle on, on what trust in news really means to people.
1: Okay. And I find it a little bit interesting with your background in that before you did this, you were a journalist yourself.
0: That's right, yeah. I worked um, before, well, not just before this, but before I even went to graduate school. So before I went and got my PhD, which is in political science, um, I worked for about six years um, in journalism, most of the time at the New York Times. Um, and then I started looking around, thinking about what I, what I was interested in, in doing, which was really to, to focus on a subject, not necessarily this one in particular, but, but a, a research that really interested me around news and media and, and politics, and be able to focus on that in depth in a way that really only uh, you know, academic institutions like this allow people to do.
1: Let me start with really my basic question, which could probably take all 30 minutes for you to answer. (laughs) Um, But based on your background and your experience and from where you sit at Oxford with all of this data behind you, the question is, what is it about news today that just makes people lose their minds in America?
0: <laughs> you know, part of it is how much the news media environment has changed. Uh, it, you know, we're in a very different world, as I think everybody knows, from you know a few decades ago, where the sources of, of news available to people were so much more limited uh, and more similar to each other, and so it is just much harder for people to to navigate the environment because you're just inundated with lots of different kinds of information than before. And then the other part of it, I think, is not even about the news, but it's about the um, The environment in the United States, which is so polarized, so divided um, and so contentious and news is very much caught up in all of those conversations. And so it doesn't really escape. um, You know, it it doesn't escape from those conversations, escape from that contentiousness.
1: So tell me, how do we compare in the United States compared to the other three countries involved in this survey?
0: Yeah, so we just put out our third report. Last week, which was based on, as you mentioned, survey work that we did in all four countries, and one of the things that is striking in, in our data is is how much more politically polarized uh, trust in news is. So, um, in the United States, so there are you know very clear political divides in all four countries. Um, in the U.S., it's particularly along lines of partisanship, um, and it's just a wider gap. Uh, and gulf really between um, people who identify with the Democratic Party, and people who identify with the Republican Party and how that um, plays a role in, in their impressions of whether news is trustworthy. Part of that is, um, you know, some very prominent politicians in the US who've, who've uh, contributed to those perceptions about the press. Some of it mm-hmm. is, you know, when people are thinking about news, they're thinking about cable news, which is very partisan and, and divided. Um, and part of it is people's exposure to, to information including news on social media, which is also very polarizing and and partisan. And so all of that is really, um, I think, to a level even beyond what you see in other countries, just just very much on display in the US.
1: So how do you measure trust? And I guess really the point of my question is, are we really looking at trust right now or are we looking at distrust more than anything?
0: You know that's something that we we focused on this a little bit in our first report, but it, there is a difference between what trust is and what distrust is. They're not just you know distrust isn't just kind of the flip side of trust. Uh, we, there is a, a strong emotional component to what trusted news means, and um, and to some extent we think we haven't tested this formally yet. Although this is one of the things we want to do in the project, um, that that emotional component may, may play a stronger role in distrust than than trust. Um, For a lot of people, one of the things we focus on in our our survey data, you know, the the people who are least trusting, uh, as in have the least amount of trust towards uh, news organizations in their countries, they don't, they're not necessarily, you know, the the same people who are most vocal and, um, you know, sort of visible critics of the press. They're often people who are much more disengaged. So they're more, we call them more indifferent towards news. Um, And they're not really differentiating much between the different sources that they're um, encountering, in part because they're less familiar with them, they have less of a sense of, you know, they have less experience conversing or knowing journalists personally. Um, And they just have less, they're less interested in news, less interested in politics often as well. And that's a kind of different category of, we call them the untrusting than what uh, you know, we often focus on when we think about people who have deep distrust of news. Often those people who have deep distrust actually are selectively trusting of particular sources. Okay. So
1: I'm wondering though, what happened where it seems as though particular politicians are now trusted more than news outlets. Mm-hmm. How did that happen? Because it used to be you would trust anything other than a politician in life. And now suddenly, <laughs> They've taken the lead and people are gravitating toward what those individuals are saying over what news brands are bringing people.
0: So yeah, I mean, for,
1: how that happened?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there's it's always been the case that um, there's been a close kind of association between News and politics and people, a lot of people's perceptions of what news is, is, is a lot of political information, current affairs, um, even though that's actually not what most news focuses on. But people have had a strong association um, and as people become you know, increasingly polarized, at least in the United States, along um, partisan lines, their kind of lens through which they interpret the news is very much bound up in those political and partisan identities. And so um, bad news for a candidate that you are really passionate about or your political party that you believe is so deeply intertwined in your own identity. um, You know, it has a sort of visceral effect on people. And so um, it becomes very much bound up in their entire sort of orientation towards political life. Um, It's it's not necessarily the fault of the news, uh, although there's there's probably ways in which certain news organizations have contributed to it. Um, but it's, uh, you know, I think it's more of a kind of symptom of the way in which politics, at least for the, the sort of hyper politically engaged segment of the public, um, you know, are, are encountering uh, the, the media these days. I think the other piece of it that's uh, worth noting is that there are, um, you know, for a lot of people, the, the way the media about it has changed, there's, it's allowed politicians to speak directly to their supporters uh, or put out video you know, they have a sort of much closer connection to um, their, their supporters and their political party um, than many journalists do and many news organizations do. Um, and so I think that is a different dynamic than we've seen in the past as well, where, you know, people are actually able to keep up with what, uh, you know, their, their favorite candidate is doing day to day without necessarily relying on uh, reporters and editors to, to make their own sort of judgments about it. Um, And I think that plays a big role as well in terms of the way that people are evaluating the information that they're reporting independently.
1: Okay. All right. So let's break down America a little bit. And let's start with the difference in ages that you may be looking at. Because if you are a baby boomer in particular, news has changed dramatically in your lifetime. And a millennial, what they think of news is nothing at all like what a baby boomer will think of news because the millennials didn't have the history and they don't remember when people had to actually drive home to turn on a television at an appointed time to see what happened that day. So um, in in your study, how do do you see differences happening with the generations?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll just say, you know, I'm actually in the millennial age range myself. And so I I think actually many millennials are sort of in the the between space where I'd say a lot of the students that I've taught are, are who are Gen Z, Um, they're the ones that actually don't remember a world before, um, you know, 24-7 updates on their phones. Whereas for me growing up, that was, um, you know, that I have distinct memories of those changes happening. Um, But, uh, you know, I think um, one of the things that we find in our study using the kind of way that we've classified people as untrusting versus selectively trusting or generally trusting towards news brands is it's actually older, um, older people across all four countries that tend to be um, most untrusting. Um, so that younger um, age group um, tends to be somewhat more trusting of um, the, the set of brands they're encountering. Um, part of that may be bound up in the way that the you know so in the U.S. at least. Older people also are more likely to be Republican, more conservative, and, and so there's a, a political dimension that explains it. But mm-hmm. that the political dimension actually doesn't map on to what we're seeing in other countries necessarily. And so um, it is sort of striking that that younger um, generation tends to be the ones who are somewhat more trusting. And, um, and it's not, we don't actually know entirely why yet. I mean, some of it may be related to the forms of media that people are using or tend to be using more social media Um, more WhatsApp in uh, Brazil and India. Um, And there may be some some degree of um, kind of giving sort of benefit of the doubt to some of the organizations or or maybe that they're actually differentiating between you know legitimate news organizations from everything else they're seeing on those platforms since they they are more trusting for that reason it's it's hard to know at this point that's one of the things we want to sort out um in a little more depth as the project goes on this we're only in year one of of three okay all right any difference
1: between male and female
0: yeah we did find some differences not consistently in every country um, Mm -hmm. but it does tend to be more uh, men who are typically in that untrusting category Um, and, uh, the, the differences are not huge. Um, so it's possible that some of this is just, um, due to, uh, you know, differences in response styles where, um, you know, uh, men may be sort of more likely to, to, to state a negative view in the survey. It's, it's one of the things that we don't have a clear explanation for why we see this difference. And it's not consistent in every country. I think in the U S, um, there was not a, a major gender difference.
1: Okay. All right. And what about geography? You know, there there's the idea of geography as destiny. How how does where I live impact how I feel about news?
0: Yeah, we do find a pretty striking pattern when it comes to geography. I mean, there's some kind of regional differences from country to country in terms of parts of those countries that tend to be, we find more sort of over overrepresentation of that untrusting group. Um, but we also find, at least in India, the U.S., and the U.K., um, people who are sort of farther away from those urban centers. So either in rural areas or small towns, uh, we do find much higher disproportionate levels of that untrusting population. Again, this is they also tend to be places, those at least in the US, those, those also do tend to be places where people are um, somewhat less likely to have college degrees, um, do tend to be older. And so some of these things are kind of intertwined with each other and one we, we haven't done, um, the additional kinds of statistical analysis that we want to do um, after this portion have been published to see whether those things, even if you control for some of those differences, to do those differences still persist. And I, and I suspect that the geographic ones we're seeing actually will, because it's a really striking pattern, at least across three or four countries.
1: And I would imagine a digital divide also plays into that.
0: Where, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah.
1: The okay. digital volume. And
0: also, you know, the other thing I had spoke of earlier about the kind of experiences that people have um, getting to know journalists either personally or, or just being interviewed for news stories, you know, a lot of the major news organizations are based in those urban centers. And so it makes some sense that it feels more distant to people Um, The focus of the coverage is also typically more um, focused around what's happening in those big urban areas. And so people just feel somewhat more disconnected and more ultimately indifferent towards what they're publishing because it doesn't seem like it has that much relevance to their day-to-day lives.
1: Okay. Let's turn it a little bit into, you know, now we get our, our news from social media outlets. But part of the issue there is, especially if people aren't very tech savvy. You know, the news is coming at them through Facebook, but not from Facebook. So it's coming from different sources, but it's often yeah. hard to track the actual source, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. and that's one thing that, um, you know, we we focused more on this in our second report, which was based on some in-depth interviews and focus groups we did with with people in all four countries. And we, we really tried to understand the way that they understood the idea of trust and how they differentiated between sources. And a lot of people would talk about, uh, the, the challenge they felt when navigating news and information on platforms like Facebook or or um, or others, where they, you know, the way that you're interacting with those sources is in this very fleeting, you know, flipping through your newsfeed, you spend a fraction of a second on each one, you don't get the same kinds of information about, um, you know, what sources are credible, unless you come to it with some pre-existing knowledge and And if that's the primary way that you're engaging with news, it's very easy to to not sort of know which of those sources you can trust um, unless you've sort of developed that set of or that base of knowledge from, you know, whether in school or from previous experience or using sources in other ways. Um, You know, what makes a news story that's published by one, news organization differed from um, some other digital source. And, we, you know, people have some kinds of rules of thumb they use, but ultimately what they told us was a lot of it is based on their sense of familiarity with the brand, the, the sense of history with the brand big, especially, you know, in the UK, a lot of people have very strong associations of having grown up with the BBC. And so they knew that they just had this sort of warm feeling towards it because it's what their parents have used and what they've grown up with. They couldn't really articulate exactly why their reporting was necessarily more trustworthy than another source, um, and for most people, they don't engage that level of depth with the journalism that they're encountering. And so it makes sense that they're sort of relying on um, more visible indicators of what's trustworthy about the appearance, or um, or just simply seeing it all the time, or seeing other people sharing it all the time as a indicator that it might be more trustworthy than everything else.
1: Okay. Well, I guess part of my question too is if they don't really know where the news is coming from because it is kind of hard to track when everything's just kind of shoved together on one page. Yeah. um, You know, can they distinguish between what is news and what is a piece of commentary or opinion, which is actually a piece of biased information by definition? Right. But can they? But do they know the difference? You know, because one of the big complaints is everything is biased, right?
0: Yeah. So you know, we asked a question about this on our survey um, about how confident people were in at least um, their understanding of the difference between some of these terms, like um, you know, an op-ed uh, or a um, an editorial and a news story. And you know, there I think I, I'm trying to look for the actual numbers exactly, but you'd, you'd be surprised at how many people. Um, will tell you in a survey, be upfront about the fact that they don't really know um, what those terms mean. Um, And one of the things, you know, despite the fact that we actually find fairly high, you know, maybe higher than a lot of people would expect levels of trust in news in general, or I should say information in the news in general, which is the slightly different way that we measured it. um, Mm -hmm. You get pretty high levels of people who have pretty cynical views about what it is that journalists are doing. Um, So for instance, uh, you know, between 25 and 40 percent of people in all four countries um, thought that journalists were very often getting paid by their sources or trying to manipulate the public or allowing their personal opinions to influence the reporting. Um, and and that's and we, and we don't see much difference, actually, in terms of um, the degree to which people who are generally untrusting towards news or people who are generally trusting towards news um, hold these kinds of ideas. Um, on that question about. Uh, knowing the difference between um, a reporter and a commentator, um, mm-hmm. only about uh, under half of people in the US, UK, and Brazil, and, and about 70% of people in India said they were completely or very familiar with, with that concept, um, or the difference between an editorial and a news story. Um, only at 36%, 38% in the UK and Brazil um, felt like they were completely or very familiar with that. Um, Half for sixty-three percent in India, half forty-nine percent in U.S. So there's the level of understanding in general about what it is that um, journalists are doing overall is pretty low, and so I think it's absolutely you know where there are fewer indicators of what's a news story versus what's commentary on, online, or frankly on on cable news, yeah. um, it's it is harder than than ever before for people to to know kind of how to how to separate those two.
1: Sure. Yeah, we we do find a printed newspaper has always been pretty good about labeling different sections. Mm -hmm. But even when a print newspaper goes online, all of those rules just go out the window and it's very hard to navigate. So you you do see people struggling, um, which I guess all of it comes back to education itself. In any Mm -hmm. of these countries, are they teaching media, media literacy as any kind of standard? In the schools, or is it kind of an add-on? Maybe it happens. Maybe it doesn't.
0: Yeah, there's a wide variation in all of these countries in terms of the degree to which people are getting that kind of formal training, and and um, and then of course people who are out of school, who who are now who did grow up in a very different media environment, who are now acclimating to this this new world of, of information. Uh, they who don't have that opportunity to to get that training in school themselves. And so, yeah, it, it, I think there is some, um, you know, significant gaps in, in most people's um, sort of training in terms of how to navigate these these systems.
1: Do you think journalists in a newsroom understand the difference between what they're doing to build trust and what the audience thinks is trustworthy?
0: I think some have better sense of it than others. I think many journalists are, are very focused on, uh, you know, the day to day deadline pressure and and the sort of existential crises facing many news organizations in terms of their own um, financial standing. Um, and so many, I think, are are not so focused on these questions about how the audience is engaging with their work so much as. Uh, you know, getting through the day, getting through the week, and 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 the the sort of immediate concerns of the stories that they're working on, um, which you know, I think if you look at the ways in which newsroom staff has really contracted, especially in the U.S., especially at the local level over the last uh, couple decades, you know, many are doing way more with fewer resources than um, than compared to the even just a few years ago, and so. Um, I don't blame them for having a hard time sort of uh, putting all that aside and and trying to get a better handle on what their audiences are are experiencing when they're navigating their work. But um, it does create some major problems because I think that, you know, that there is a disconnect, at least when you're thinking about the interviews that we did and and what we're seeing in, in our survey data, there is a huge disconnect between Um, the way that a lot of journalists think about these things and the way that uh, a lot of the public thinks about news, which is often, for most people, doesn't have that much relevance to the way they live their lives, except for people who are really invested in politics, and and then it has a very specific kind of relevance uh, and sort of urgency. Um, But uh, that's, that's not most people.
1: Okay. Well, what would you say the BBC is doing, though, that it seems to have a large trust factor going on, even with people who can't explain why. So what's going I mean, on there?
0: Yeah, one of the unique things about the BUC, and of course, BUC has critics on both sides, uh-huh. or I should say multiple sides. It's not just a sort of single dimension of politics. Um, and we see that in, in some of our interviews, both people criticizing it for being too conservative, people criticizing it for being too woke. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, it's it, it struggles with a lot of these same issues. But it is much more trusted uh, in a sort of broad-based broad way in the UK. And I think one of the things it's, it does benefit from, which we heard in our interviews, is um, it's funded in a different way. So it, it is uh, sort of, uh, you know, it's, it's funded through um, TV license fees and, and public funding in the UK, um, not commercial private interests. And so, um, and people recognize that and, and they they appreciate that in, in a way that um, some of the people that we interviewed in the U.S. pointed to their trust in PBS and NPR for the same reason. They felt like they weren't beholden to commercial interests in the same way um, that they felt applied to many private news organizations.
1: Okay. I do have a couple of questions from the audience here, one of which is dealing with You know, what kind of clues should the public seek from a news report to help determine accurate versus inaccurate reporting or truth versus non-truths? I mean, I I could tell you off the top of my head, one of of the guidelines the Fair Media Council gives out is don't rely on one source for your news. You know, we want to see people using as many varied sources as possible. Um, So... Let's get your
0: take I, on that. Yeah, I mean, so I think that's a good um, rule of thumb, and it, it's also one that I think a lot of people have internalized, um, and maybe maybe overly internalized. Sometimes I think that there are some people who, um, because they have this fear of being kind of taken in by news sources, that they don't feel like they can trust any of them, and they have to mm-hmm. um, be sort of generally skeptical of everything and and distrusting of everything they encounter, and that's not really a helpful way to live your life. And so I think finding news organizations that you feel do deserve your trust, understanding what it is that they're doing that a different news organization is not doing or maybe doing less effectively, I think. So, you know, I think making those differentiations is actually really important. Um, it's also true you don't want to rely on a single source. Um, but, you know, I, I would encourage, it's, it's a hard question for me as a researcher to address because it deals with like what people should do um, when a lot of what we're trying to do is figure out how people are, behaving how they are differentiating and and, um but i can tell you what i do personally which is um i do focus a lot on um sort of how transparent the organization is being about their own reporting practices so telling you what they don't know as well as what they do know um you know i i do pay attention to bylines and so getting a sense of how that person has a track record of reporting um, and what they've reported in the past, which informs whether I think they've sort of done their due diligence on that story, um, paying attention to it to the, um, the, the whether they're reporting original information based on um, confirming details independently on their own versus just re, uh, sort of repackaging stuff that's been reported elsewhere. That's not, unfortunately, that's not obvious in a lot of news coverage. They, they try mm-hmm. to sort of cover that out, up, cover that up in the reporting. Um, But often when they've done a lot of work, like they went to court to get some documents revealed, uh, you know, they'll make that very clear. And I think that's usually a good indication that this organization is, um, you know, putting the resources towards reporting original information and not just relying on secondhand um, uh, stuff that's been reported elsewhere.
1: Yeah. And I I also find kind of a newer guideline um, is a lot of the really reputable reputable brands will come out and say we were wrong when -hmm. they were wrong, you know, and admit the error where you won't find that happening everywhere.
0: And that is one thing that really sets professional journalists apart from others who sort of operate in the space is they really do hold this commitment to um, accurate reporting and and correcting the record when they make mistakes um, very seriously. Uh, and not everybody does that and so i think that's another key thing to, to pay attention to and the other thing i would add too is you know to the extent that they make the original they if they're reporting on documents or um you know information that they can post the original source material to on their website um mm-hmm. that's that's often a good sign it's not sometimes people do this sort of as a as a cover but um if you you know if they're if they're doing that work and, and you can look at it yourself uh and and sort of you know, take some appreciation, the fact that they're going that extra mile um, to be transparent, I think that that usually is a good indication that there is something that sets this organization apart from, uh, you know, the other brands that you might encounter in your your, uh, Facebook feed.
1: Okay. And speaking about the source, I do have a question here. How do people um, gain access to your survey?
0: To participate in the survey?
1: Or, or to see your survey results for this latest one, at least. Oh, to see the report, so um,
0: yeah, so we published um, on our website uh, at the Reuters Institute uh, website, which is, I should know, reutersinstitute.politics.ox.ac.uk. It's a bit of a mouthful. It's the okay. way that the University of Oxford, uh, <laughs> you know, makes their websites work. But uh, it's, it's right up there on the, the home page of our site right now is um, the full report. Um, and there's, there's a link as well to the larger trusted news projects that so you can see that the other reports we've published previously. Um, and uh, I should say too, with our report, there's some deta- there's a little bit more detail that I've provided about the, the methods of our survey and how we went about identifying people to recruit and get and achieve a, a more or less representative population in each of the four countries.
1: Okay, we actually need to wrap up. Is there anything that we should have talked about that I didn't bring up and didn't get out of
0: here? I mean, I'll just one last thing is, you know, we are really focused on our hope with this project is eventually get to a place where we can test some possible interventions to see, uh, you know, ways that news organizations can try to build trust with their audiences and So much um, different organizations have tried different things, but there's not a lot of empirical evidence about what actually works. And so um, that's that's sort of where we're hoping to go. So if you are, uh, you know, work for a news organization uh, or have some connections to these organizations that are trying and experimenting with different things, we'd love to hear from you because that is sort of where we hope to go with this project over the coming years. Okay,
1: great. And you really do seem to enjoy the work you're doing.
0: I do very much so.
1: Yeah. And how much do the students play into this?
0: You know, one of the, that's one of the nice things about my role. I have kind of one foot in this world, in this project here in Oxford. And then um, back at the University of Minnesota, where I'm on faculty at the Hubbard School of Journalism, um, I still do teach classes. And so um, the students aren't directly involved in this project, but there we have a thriving student body interested in journalism, interested in going into journalism um, in many cases, getting jobs in journalism. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's one of the really gratifying things about being a faculty member is getting to be involved in seeing those students grow and, and learn and, and develop and, and, and start their careers in, in this field. The Fair Media Council is a 501c3 nonprofit organization advocating for quality news and working to create a media savvy society. For more information about the Fair Media Council and upcoming Fast Chat shows, check out fairmediacouncil.org.